Uh, how about before we begin, I'm going to pray. I'll pray for our time in the Bible together. Also pray for Hans and the rest of his family. Uh, Hans is the only one remaining sick, but they've had a big week. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can be here together, looking at the Bible, exploring this question of peace. I pray that you would clearly show us whether peace is what the world needs most, what kind of peace, how we might have it. And as we do that, Father, please show us your goodness and glory to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, uh, if you were here last week, uh, you would have heard uh, I spoke about, I uh, started by talking about uh, Shinla, who had a factory uh, in Krakow, and he, he showed his kindness to the Jews during World War II, uh, and um, it, just incredible act of bravery and kindness led to so many people being saved. Well, after I had spoken about that, I got down, uh, my mum was over and we were having lunch together and she said, Tim, you know, I've been to Krakow, I've been to where Schindler's factory was and she showed me photos of of this beautiful old building. You wouldn't have thought it's an industrial factory, it's just this beautiful old building. She says, I was there in the square, I've seen it, it's wonderful. Now, the reason she was in Krakow wasn't for a holiday, she didn't go to just see the sights, she was actually there on a bit of a mission. She was in Krakow to cross the border by bus into, the, into Ukraine to go to Lviv. In Lviv, she was part of a field hospital where her, uh, among people from all over the world, uh, through the organisation Samaritan's Purse, were caring for the sick and injured as they fled Ukraine uh, into other parts of Europe. You can see here, here's a photo of my mum. Here we go. Uh, the one on the very uh, right, that's my mum with, with the... Um, what do you call it? Like a hairnet on. That's it. I was going to say a beanie, but that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> That's my mum. She's there on the far right. Uh, she was there for almost a month. The only reason she came home when she did is because she had to be home in time for my sister's wedding. Uh, she almost came home for the wedding and went immediately back. But she was in the Ukraine dealing with the kind of unexpected outcomes of war. Civilians who had been hurt and injured while fleeing, who were sick, who needed to get out of the country to be safe, uh, but needed medical attention before they did so. And her experience there, it it was absolutely bizarre to talk to her, because I'd I'd speak to her on the phone or via email, and she'd say, yeah, yesterday we were doing surgery all day. She's she's a surgical nurse, so she's, um, you know, in the theatres helping the doctors do their thing. I assume that without her there, nothing would work, and that's just how I imagine it works. Uh, And so she spends a whole day operating on people who need help, and then the next day she's upstairs in the shopping centre, because they're they're in an underground car park, upstairs in the shopping centre buying chocolate for me and my boys. And then she had quickly run downstairs when there was... uh, when they could hear explosions, and they run downstairs into the underground car park where it's safe. It was a really bizarre experience for me to hear from her, Uh, But it gave me uh, quite a personal connection to what's going on in Ukraine. As of April 17th, so six days ago, April 17th, there have been 8,534 civilians killed in Ukraine due to the Russia-Ukraine war. A further 14,370 people have been injured. Some of them would have gone through the hospital my mum was working at. There have been a further 8 million refugees who have fled the country. That is the entire population of New South Wales fleeing. These are families, 
mums, dads, grandmas, grandpas, children, fleeing violence and war. War, it's just awful. It is a terrible, terrible tragedy. We long for peace in our world, don't we? We long for a time where there'll be no more violence, no more war, both large scale and small. We long for a day where humanity can get along with one another and be kind to one another and love one another, especially after the bloodiest century in all of human history, last century, two world wars, cold wars, a number of other wars. War destroys lives at a massive scale, at an incredibly large scale. But it doesn't just ruin the lives of those who are killed because of war or injured because of war, it ruins the lives of those who go to war. David Finkel, a Pulitzer Prize-winning author, embedded himself in the American Army Infantry 216 Battalion, okay? And as part of that battalion, he saw what war was like. He had the displeasure of witnessing war close up. And he realises that no one who goes to war comes back unscathed, whether they were physically injured or not. No one comes back unscathed. This is how he describes one soldier. He is a true casualty of battle. There's not a physical scar, but look at the man's heart and his head, and there are scars galore. So many soldiers suffer from PTSD after war, suicidal thoughts, other health complications, mental health issues. My grandfather was one of them, suffered PTSD after serving in Vietnam. You know, we thank them for their service because... It comes at great personal cost to them. And that cost isn't necessarily always physical. We really long to see an end to war. And so today we're going to have a look at what the Bible and what God says about peace. Can we have it? Is it possible? And I'm going to put my cards on the table straight away. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says, no, we cannot have peace this side of eternity. We cannot have peace this side of Jesus returning and putting an end to all war. But, on a smaller scale, we can have peace. So, there's three things we're going to see today. We're going to see our secular solutions to war, our biggest problems that we have to overcome to get peace, and our only hope for a path forward. That's where we're going. I've already put my cards on the table Uh, So hopefully you have an idea of where we're going to go and there'll be no big surprises. Uh, But let's jump into it. First, we're going to start with our secular solutions. In the last half century or so, a little bit longer, humanity and in particular the West have really worked hard to come up with some paths to peace. What are we going to do to create worldwide, global, long-lasting peace? There's kind of three main ones. There's the religious solution the education solution, the political solution. We'll look at all three pretty briefly uh, and we'll see that none of these solutions can actually do much. So first, uh, the religious solution. This, this idea is based on the premise that most, if not all, war is motivated for religious purposes. You know, completely or in part, religion plays part in why people go to war. And so the simple solution is, If you eradicate the beliefs that lead to violence and war, we'll be done with war, right? Religion motivates war, get rid of religion, no more war. That's kind of the thinking. The only problem with this solution is the entire premise is wrong. 
There is an, a, a history of recorded warfare. It's called the Encyclopedia of Wars. Uh, I was like, oh, I, could, I should look this up myself. I should get the quote myself. I'll, how much is the book? It's about $900 on Amazon, so I had to use the internet uh, to get this quote. But from the list of 1,736 wars, only 123 of them have been classified as involving a religious cause. So, 1,700 wars... 123 caused completely or in part for religious reasons. That's less than 7% of all war. And if you put it in terms of casualties, less than 2% of all casualties in war come from these wars that are religiously motivated. It, It just seems that religion isn't the main motivator behind our wars. Religion isn't the primary driving force. Yes, it's involved in some, but a very small minority. It also records the casualties of non-religiously motivated wars. And they're quite telling. Look at this list. I don't know if that's big enough that you can see that. I'm sorry if it's not. But here's a list of uh, people who were either atheists or didn't believe in God or just didn't follow a God and the number of casualties they caused. Let me read just a few of them for you. Stalin, 42,000... Sorry, 42 million, 600,000. Mao, 32 million. Hitler, 20 million. Uh, Lenin, 4 million. Pol Pot, 2.4 million. There are so, so, so many more people suffering because of wars not religiously motivated than religiously motivated. So, if we put an end to religion, will that end wars? Not even close. Not even close. The vast majority of war is waged for non-religious reasons. And so, getting rid of religion won't fix the war problem. What about the second solution, the education solution? And the idea here is that if we were just more educated, we would realise that war doesn't serve the purpose we want it to. If we can educate ourselves, war will become a thing of the past. Because, you know, educated people know that war is evil and suffering is bad and that there are other ways to achieve the outcomes. There's diplomacy, there's you know, uh, coming to agreements and things like that. There's just giving up on on what we think we want so that other people can have. But again, the premise to this whole solution just doesn't hold any water whatsoever. Osama bin Laden studied at university, received his degree. He even spent time at Oxford University studying English where other students and professors described him as being extremely hard-working. Education didn't just stop his acts of violence, even though he was educated. Vladimir Putin has a law degree. He has a PhD in economics. Arguably, that hasn't stopped the war, but made them more severe. He's a smart man who knows how to wage war. Our world is more educated now than it has ever been in all of human history. Far more educated. Yet, war seems to be here to stay. It's not like the Enlightenment meant that war has completely dropped off. No, the Enlightenment, and then we had World War I, World War II, Cold Wars, uh, more means of violence. War does not go away with education. Education cannot fix the war problem. What about the third secular solution, the political solution? And the idea here is, you know, if only people had the right political outlooks then there wouldn't be any wars. If we could all agree politically, all have the same kind of ideology, there wouldn't be any war. 
But I mean, if you've ever had a fight with, you know, at Christmas about politics or even just witnessed a family fighting about politics, you know that this solution just isn't going to work, right? This is what uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, I hope I pronounced that right, he's a a Russian writer who spent time in a a gulag, he writes this about uh, political ideologies and, and war. Gradually, it was disclosed to me Remember, he was in a Russian gulag, so he saw uh, humanity at their worst. Gradually, it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. You see the problem with the political solution? There is no one particular ideology that will rid us of war. The problem is people. The problem is in our hearts. You know, there there are a thousand one different political ideologies. Which do we choose? Who gets to choose? How do we know they're right? There's no way forward with this solution. It's impossible. It cannot work. So can any of our secular solutions work? No. There is no human solution to war. We will never be rid of war as long as we try and do it ourselves. Because the problem is far, far too deep. Have a look at what... uh, This is a Christian pastor from New York named Tim Keller. This is what he says. Excuse me. Uh, He's... We skipped that one. This is what he says. In her book, Creed or Cross, says, that's another author he's quoting said that over the previous century and more, politics had operated on the following basis. <coughs> Excuse me. What was wrong with society was not in the human heart. It lay in the social structures, in a lack of education. It was a lack of applying what we know through science. Therefore, if we could just fill those gaps, human society would achieve greatness. But human history is littered with disillusioned people who thought capitalism would make us better, or socialism would make us better. The sins of the human heart just express themselves differently in each of these systems. Politics is another outside-in approach that doesn't change the human heart. There is no secular solution that will solve the problem of war because the problem of the human heart just rears its head in every one of those solutions. We are the problem with each of those solutions. Now, this brings me to my second point. Our biggest problem. (coughs) Excuse me. I might grab a drink of water. That way you don't have to hear me coughing all morning. Sorry about that. All right, so, continue on. As Alexander Solzhenitsyn has already said, the problem is the human heart. It's not states, it's not politics. It cuts through every human heart. The real reason there's war is because of the human heart. There is a problem inside of us. It's not an external issue. It comes deep at the very core of us. So, come now to the part of the Bible that we read earlier. Mark chapter 7, <clears throat> excuse me, it'll be good to have your Bible open in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, I'll, I'll chuck the verses up on screen a little bit, or you can just Google Mark 7 and you'll find the sentences I'm talking about. 
uh, in Mark chapter 7, Jesus, he's speaking to a group of, uh, of uh, religious leaders who have accused Jesus' followers of not washing their hands before a meal. Now, that might be a little bit gross, but, but really, they're concerned about a, a religious tradition. You ceremonially wash your hands before having a meal. And, and these religious leaders were really concerned about keeping religious traditions. That was the most important thing to them. Obey the religious laws, keep all the traditions, follow the law to the letter. But Jesus accuses them of only caring about what's on the outside of them, not what's on the inside. From the outside, it looks like they're obeying all the traditions, obeying all the laws, and that looks really good. Everyone looks at them and goes, wow, how religious are they? But they don't care about what's inside their own hearts. And so listen to Jesus' critique of them. So this is from Mark chapter 7. I'm going to be looking at sentence number 20. It's going to come up on the screen. Mark chapter 7. He went on, that is Jesus, he went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? It's not the external things that make you dirty. It's not grubby hands or it's not obeying good traditions. Those things don't affect you. They're all outside of you. It's from the inside, from the heart, that people are defiled. And so the problem of war, in fact, every human problem, doesn't come from outside of us, whether we do this or that, think this or that. It comes from inside our own hearts. War comes from inside the sinful heart. In fact, the Bible teaches that every single person suffers from this defiled heart. Every single person ever to exist except the Lord Jesus Christ. From in every heart, there is a sickness. And from that sick heart comes everything that we would consider evil and wrong. Murder, violence, war, adultery, malice, slander. They're in Jesus' list. But do you see the other things in Jesus' list? These are things that we might not consider as being so bad. Yeah, they're a bit wrong, but are they really that bad? He says, greed, deceit. Envy, arrogance. You know, we all know those things are bad. We all don't like them. But are they really that bad? Jesus says, yes, they come from a sick heart. A heart sick with sin. Now, I know every single person in this room is guilty of at least one of those things. And I know that's true because it's true of me. As good as I like to think I am, as good as I try to be, there is still deceit in my heart, envy, greed, arrogance, all those other things find their their root and their genesis and their beginning in our hearts. I know this is heavy stuff to talk about, especially if if you've just come to explore Jesus and you're like, what does Jesus have to say about peace? And I'm saying, you have a heart disease. It's hard to deal with. It's hard to come to grips with. You might be sitting there feeling angry at me, Tim, how dare you say that about me? How dare you say that about humanity? Humanity aren't that bad. But here's the problem. These aren't my words, remember. They're Jesus' words. Jesus speaks this truth. Jesus is the one who says every single person's heart is sick. 
Jesus doesn't just come diagnosing the problem. He actually comes with the solution, which we'll get to in a minute. But unless we recognise our heart problem, we will never find peace. We'll never find any kind of peace. We'll never find peace between us and others. We'll never find inner peace. We'll never find peace between us and God until that heart problem is fixed. Listen to what the English philosopher C.E.M. Joad says. It is because we rejected the doctrine of original sin that we on the left were always being disillusioned by the behaviour of both the people and the nations and politicians and by the recurrent fact of war. What's he saying there? All right? It can be a little bit confusing, I must admit. It was confusing when I first read it. What he's saying is that uh, because people ignore the heart problem, and that's what he means when he says the doctrine of original sin, he means the heart problem, the sickness in all of our hearts. Because we ignore that problem, we keep looking for solutions outside of ourselves and we keep coming up short. None of those solutions work and so we're just all disillusioned by them. Because all those solutions that I discussed, any other solution that we could possibly think of, only ever deals with the symptoms. They never deal with the actual disease. You know, I get lower back pain, or, well, I used to get lower back pain, and for a long time I would just, you know, pop a Nurofen and keep going. Or when it got really bad, I'd pop a Voltaren and I'd keep going. And did that for a very long time, until it got so severe, so bad, that I was taking pills every day just so that I could work, just so I could function, just so I could be alive. And so eventually... I went to the chiropractor and said, hey, look, my back has really caused me dramas. Can you do anything about it? He said, of course. What we're going to do is we're going to adjust you a couple of times a week. I'm going to give you stretches and exercises to do. We're going to fix your back and we're going to build up all the muscles in your back so that it doesn't hurt anymore. And so I've been working at those stretches and exercises uh, for a long time now and they really work. I very rarely get back pain anymore. When I do, uh, you know, it's not so bad that I even need to take a Nurofen at all. It's just like a slight discomfort and all I have to do is get up, go for a walk and I'm all right. I was dealing with the symptoms and it didn't do a whole lot. But I dealt with the issue, with the real disease and now my back is far better. And so we need something that will deal with the disease, not the symptoms. And so that brings me to my final point, our only hope. We might just leave it there for for a moment. How can this problem be fixed? What is the cure for this disease? What can be done to bring peace to our war-waging world? Well, there is only one hope. Firstly, we can't fix ourselves. That is completely off the table. We need open-heart surgery, right? And no doctor performs open-heart surgery on themselves. They can't. We can't fix it ourselves. But I, I can't even fix you. You can't fix me. My heart is sick. How can I expect to fix your sick heart? Your heart is sick. How can you expect to fix my sick heart? We can't fix our own heart problems. We need someone else. We need something else to intervene in this situation, to fix our defiled heart. But it's even more severe than that. It's not just that we need someone to open up our chest and and, and fix our heart. Our heart is, is dead. It's no good. There's no fixing it. It cannot be fixed. We need a transplant. We need a complete heart transplant. We need the old, sick, defiled heart taken out and a new, healthy, pure heart put back in. That is the severity of the problem. And here's the good news. God is our heart surgeon. God 
has hearts in abundance to give us, to transplant into us, to fix our heart problem. And now is where we come to that other reading in the Bible, Ezekiel 36. Uh, So come back there with me. Like Steve said, it's about two-thirds of the way through the Bible, after Lamentations, before Daniel. Uh, And again, if you don't have a Bible, you'll see it on the screen, or you can just Google Ezekiel 36. You'll find the right words. Now, as we look at Ezekiel 36, this is God speaking to His people, Israel, and He's making some promises to rescue them. But look how He describes His rescue. The same heart problem we have, God's people, Israel, had back then, look how He describes His rescue. Look at sentence number 25 with me. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put my spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What's God going to do? He's going to perform heart surgery on us. He's going to perform the transplant himself, giving us a new heart, not a heart of stone, that's corrupt and defiled and from which all wickedness and evil come. He's going to give us a heart of flesh, a heart that's able to love, a heart that's able to be at peace with others. And the way that God has done this is by sending Jesus into the world. God does that heart transplant by sending Jesus, as Sammy said earlier, to die on the cross for our sins so that the sickness in our heart might be dealt with, might be fixed, that we might be given a new heart so that anyone who trusts in Jesus' death receives this life-saving surgery. Now, if you want to find out more about how that works, I haven't gone into much detail, please come to a fresh look. We're going to talk about this stuff in much more detail. You'll be able to ask your questions, things like that. But it's through Jesus' death and resurrection that our heart surgery is made possible. And so finally, with these new hearts, we can say no to violence. We can say no to war. We can say no to the anger that drives these things and the greed and the malice. Our new hearts are purified so we can finally be at peace with one another. This means that worldwide peace, here and now, is only achievable to the extent that people come to God for heart surgery. Worldwide peace is only achievable here and now to the extent that people come to Jesus. The more people do, the more peace we are able to have. The less people do, the less peace there will be in this world. There might be little blips through history where it dips and then rises back up and then dips. At the moment, statistics tell us we are in one of those dips after the bloodiest century in history. We've kind of gone, ugh, that wasn't good. And there's less war, but there's still plenty of war going around. The only way we can have lasting worldwide peace is for people to come to know Jesus and have a new heart. So then what should you do? I can't end war myself. You can't end war yourself. What can we do? Well, firstly, come and receive a new heart. If you have yet to accept Jesus as your Lord, as your Saviour, if you are yet to ask God for that heart surgery, ask Him for it now. Ask Him for it today. Say, God, you are sorry for the wickedness and evil that's come from your heart. You want a new heart. You want a heart of love and peace. You want to be God's again. Come to God and be saved. Or if you're still 
investigating these things, you want to find out more, please, again, uh, I said this already today, I said this last week, come to a fresh look, you'll find out more. We'll be able to discuss these things. We'll be able to talk through them together. You'll be able to ask your questions. There'll be more detail. Come along to a fresh look. Take that card home. Give it to someone who you think is looking for a new heart. If you want to accept Jesus today, I'm going to be sitting down the front here for the first 10 minutes after the service. Come speak to me. I'd love to talk to you about uh, what you're thinking, what you're feeling. Or if you've just got questions, come speak to me. I'll be up the front. I would love to talk to you more about how a new heart, how you can get a new heart, how it can shape and change your life, why I think it's so good, not just for being at peace with others, but for so many other reasons. Our heart transplant is the greatest news that anyone could hear. God has a new heart for you. He will give it to you freely. All you have to do is accept it. The best news in the world. So come accept that new heart. Let me finish uh, by summarising. First, we saw uh, that our secular solutions to war cannot work because each of them are based on a false premise that looks outside of ourselves, not inside of ourselves. And so the problem of war and the solutions to war can't come from outside but have to come from inside because the real problem is our own hearts. That is, is from within our diseased, sick hearts that all evil comes, including war. And because there's nothing we can do to fix our heart ourselves, God in his love and mercy and kindness has come to fix our broken hearts, to give us the heart transplant we need. So, is peace what the world needs most? Is it what the world needs most? Well, peace would certainly make the world a better place, wouldn't it? It would absolutely make the world a better place but we can't achieve it ourselves. What we need more than peace is a God who will transform our hearts. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you don't just leave us in our state of sickness and sin, that you have sent your Son in history to die on the cross so that we might have a new heart. Father, we mourn the wickedness and evil of war in our world now and throughout all of history. We are so saddened by the suffering and death that it caused, all that darkness. But we know that the solution does not come from within us, it only comes from you. So thank you so much that you have made a way, that you've made peace possible. Help us to trust in you, so that we might have a new heart. Help us to show others their need for a new heart, so that more and more might come to you, receive new hearts, and live lives of peace. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. We're going to sing together.